Hello and welcome to Retention Chronicles, a podcast sponsored by Malomo, a shipment tracking platform that helps e-commerce brands turn order tracking into a profitable marketing channel. On this podcast, we welcome leading DTC brands and experts to chat about all things customer retention and e-commerce. We absolutely love highlighting all of the amazing things that our customers are doing in the post-purchase space. If you like what you hear, be sure to check out our website, gomalomo.com. Maybe you'll even be featured on this podcast someday in the near future, who's to say? To help us continue to bring new guests and information to you, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you like to listen. On this episode of Retention Chronicles, we are joined by Will Lawrenson of Customers Who Click, and he is an expert in customer retention optimization. He works with e-commerce brands to reduce customer acquisition and get a higher return on their spending, but to also get more customers through the door and increase their average order values and lifetime value. By listening, you'll obviously hear about CRO and so many other cool topics that we go into because as Will points out, conversion rate optimization isn't just about the conversions, but so much more. We'll chat about various testing that you can run for areas like free trials, marketing copy, customer pain points, CTAs, and return policies. We'll also talk about sending helpful content to your customers and why customer feedback might be more important than data. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Retention Chronicles. Today, we are joined by Will Lawrenson at Customers Who Click. He's here to tell us all about conversion rate optimization. So thank you for coming on the show, Will. We are so happy to have you here. Hi, thanks for having me. First, I thought it would be great if you could share with us your background, how you got into the space, and um, kind of why you like tell us about customers who click and everything that you do there. Yeah, sure. Um, so my my background was is marketing. Um, it's always been quite kind of general, you know, marketing manager, head of marketing sort of roles mm-hmm. um, in startups as well, and I kept coming across the same problem which was as a marketing team, we were told, here's your budget, go and acquire customers and grow the business. And it was kind of the expectation that having a pot of money was all that was required to to go and and acquire customers and and make a lot of money for the business. And every time I was coming across the same problem in that the the website wasn't optimized, you know, uh, checkout flows, sign up pages, the actual the general usability of a of a website or an app just wasn't that great. So either we were struggling to get people to to sign up or purchase in the first place, or once we did get them through initially, they they just weren't really sticking. Mm-hmm. And so I started to push myself more and more into into the product teams basically. And I, I say push because it was very much I am working with you now. <laughs> um, we're we're going to work on fixing this um, and and just trying to work on fixing yeah f- fixing their websites fixing apps to to make sure people actually converted with them and then i my last role was head of conversion for a quite a big gambling company in the uk um okay. which is quite interesting so yeah, that was a gambling. that was actually a mix of that was a mix of cro and email marketing okay and so the main we can't my team owned kind of everything from uh so the moment people landed on a website so the, the you know the ppc or seo team had done their job taking them through to to sign up and then to actually get them to deposit and make their first uh first plays in games so the this, the conversion team wasn't just responsible for conversion rates it was responsible for that um little bit of ongoing ongoing experience um and then i left there november 19 2019 uh, and decided to go out and do this on my own and, and work with uh, mainly uh, e-commerce brands to improve conversion rates, uh, you know, help them uh, reduce their cost of acquisition, get a better return on ad spend, but also you know, get, get more customers through the door, increase the average order values, and crucially Im- improve lifetime value as well. You know, the, the way I see it, com- conversion doesn't just end at that that actual conversion point. Right. We've got to be looking at those those longer term metrics like re- return rate, 
uh, and by that I mean uh, product returns, order returns, uh, lifetime value and stuff like that. Because if I increase conversion rates, but returns go up and retention goes down, then I'm not really I'm not really adding anything, am I? Mm-hmm. Yeah, real quick, what um, like you mentioned the metrics that you're looking at, the long term metrics. What do you use to like look at those metrics? Like, is there a specific technology or is that like you tracking every um, customer step? Oh, it's just generally dashboards like in Shopify and things yeah. like that. Just, you know, the, the general dashboards you get um, and, and just kind of keeping an eye on them. Um, obviously, checking in with customer service as well and doing a lot with, with the teams there so mm-hmm. that they're seeing, uh, you know, they're recording how many tickets coming in through it because of a return, why, uh, why people are requesting those returns. When I worked for a subscription app, it was, you know, collecting that feedback on the on the cancellation page. And ask you know, finding out why people were actually cancelling, and looking at uh, various you know various stages that they were actually cancelling at. Uh, you know, one th- one thing I found out there, which was really interesting, because there was loads of debate about this, and that's you know whether to ask for a credit card on sign up. Ah, oh, okay. And I mean, we tested loads of options. We tested with and without credit cards. We tested seven, fourteen, and thirty day trials. We tested paid offers straight away, and we found that. A uh, 30-day trial without a credit card was the best option. Okay, um, it's interesting you say that. We're at Malomo now, a 30-day trial without okay. a credit card edition. So that's that's good to hear. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah having well, that free trial. Mm-hmm. What we found was, you know, quite obviously, you get you get far more people signing up, but then your retention rate from the trial to paid plummets. Mm-hmm. But you, you then build it back up, right? Some people, the, the free trial just expires and they've forgotten to, to put their card in, whatever. So you, you can you can gather some of those people back. Um, you can win people back. But after what we were finding was after three months, we had a better conversion rate on the no credit card trial. Uh, sorry, better, better conversion rate, better retention rate. You know, we had more customers after three months, after 90 days than we did on the credit card side. So that first okay. month retention looked really good, but actually what was happening was people were forgetting they were being charged for the next month. Uh, a lot of people would still then use it a little bit, but then they would cancel. Right. Or they okay. would, you know, or that, that renewal would happen. They'd cancel immediately, but then just use it a little bit for that month. And yeah, generally what we found was pe- people who then opt to come back and put their credit card in were more valuable and, and better in the long term than people who... Uh, put their credit card in at the start and then and then continued. Right. I'd imagine kind of like you're after a free trial, after you have had 30 days, you don't have to put in your credit card in the beginning. When you go back, that's like the added action of or like the reconfirmation of, oh, I want this service to continue. So you might yeah. have, like you said, a smaller pool of um, customers who are coming back but they're very, very valuable and dedicated. Like it's, it's kind of like that trade-off of what, you know, what as a company you're looking for the most. And I think if you have a smaller group that is more dedicated, that's bigger or that's better than a bigger group that weans off over time. It's interesting how you phrase that, right? You said a smaller group that comes back, mm-hmm. right? But the reason we looked at 90 days was because we knew we were going to have that drop off. And we yeah. knew we would have better retention rate with a credit card, but then the things would switch. So we looked at 90 days and that's what we considered that, that kind of true conversion. Mm-hmm. So, we, so when, okay. when we looked at it that way, we didn't see it as we were getting a bigger drop off. We were seeing it as we had more customers. Right. That's, okay, so, that's the situation we were in. Yeah. So, okay, actually, so we saw it as 90 days. Yeah. Yeah. But by, by having a credit card. Yeah. Okay. The month one retention was really good. We had, we had better, better retention rate to actually a, a, the paid month, but then so many more of those people dropped off because they actually didn't want the product mm-hmm. because they'd forgotten about it or whatever. So I, I can't remember the exact stat now. I, I think it was about, I, I think our conversion rate was about double. Oh, sorry, like that kind of 90 day, wow. that 90 day conversion rate. I think it was about double for people who hadn't put a credit card in at the start. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. I mean, you have the numbers to back it up. That's that's wildly successful to get that number to double. Um, would you say that, so like h- how 
you mentioned the stages that you looked at the stages that people were dropping off at. Was there like a specific stage in the customer journey that they, that customers would fall off from? So I know we're kind of talking about digital products. So I don't know if you want to go back to focus on e-commerce, but in this particular example, we were looking at, uh, so th this app was like a um, Spotify for magazines, mm -hmm. right? So you had loads of content on there. It was all you could consume uh, for, a, for a monthly fee. We, we were looking at a certain number of magazines read within the first few days was generally the indicator. Uh, the reason for a 30 day trial was because it improved conversion rate to trial, like yeah. sign up rate. Um, so it was, it was far more enticing than a seven or 14 day trial. And, you know, when you look at Netflix, Spotify, all those sort of things, they all give 30 day trials. So it's kind of industry standard, you know, when the, when the big, uh, big guns in the industry sort of industry are doing it, mm -hmm. uh, it's difficult to go off that. Um, so yeah, it was, it was trying to get people to do a certain, read a certain number of magazines within their first, I think it was three days, okay. either three or seven. Uh, and then another indicator was the number of devices that they activated their profile. Mm. So if they, if they used it on multiple, multiple devices, they were much more likely to retain. And essentially what was happening there is password sharing, but it was yeah. allowed. We, we were, we were telling people just, you know, you can have up to five profiles on your account. Um, yeah. I, I don't, Again, like I mean, we're talking. When did I leave there? Six years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't believe that we were stopping any kind of concurrent usage or anything like that. So, you know, you can have all five people using the app at the same time. Um, I think we even positioned it as you know, it's one one subscription for the family, mm -hmm. um, sort of sort of thing. But yeah, so you know, those were the two metrics. If they if they read a certain number of magazines within, yeah, I think about three days. And if they activated the device on more than one, uh, sorry, profile on more than one device, they were much more likely to stay with us. Okay. Wow. That's, yeah, I wouldn't think like the device, tracking the devices that they sign in on, that's super interesting. Um, and then, so one other thing I wanted to touch upon that you had said is when you go to like, say someone doesn't convert and you go to build that back up. So I think it was in the range of like the 90 days, um, how do you kind of like, how do you get those customers to convert like ways you do that? Is it like you're targeting them with ads or emails or anything along those lines? Yeah, a lot of it was email marketing. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we would feed data back to our um, acquisition team uh, to, to run ads. So they would run those ads to the audience who were opted out of, of marketing. But yeah, generally it was it was email marketing and and we just use content that they'd, they'd been engaging with. Right, so, you know, um, we actually came up with a, an in-house recommendation engine. So it would, you know, look at, um, I think it was their, their kind of favorite magazine. I think we might've had favorite magazine and favorite category, and mm. then we could base stuff off that. So we could say, well, here's, here's another magazine that's related to the magazine that you've read. Uh, here's, here's a third one as well, or a second relevant one. Um, and then here's, um, we could do popular, uh, pop, popular with other people who were reading similar stuff. Right. I think so. Is it, it, I mean, when you when you look at it, like if I if we if I showed you the kind of algorithm and stuff, it looks it really, really basic. You know, it's really really simple stuff that we were doing, but it just made a big difference to uh, being able to convert people um, and and to build up that engagement within that th first thirty days as well. You know, to, to be able to email someone within seven days saying the new the new issue of this magazine's gone live that we know you like or uh, we've just launched this magazine onto the platform similar to the one you've read why don't you check this out that stuff made a huge difference mm -hmm. it's interesting you say that it's like the algorithm that you built is simple and i think that's encouraging right like to hear that you don't have to do you don't have to go above and beyond to you know resonate with these customers and to convert them it, it can be simple of like you said i mean the analogy of spotify for magazines like i completely get it right like they recommend you songs they, they're recommending you a magazine of oh this is what other people who are like you are listening to that's what they're reading it makes a lot of sense that it would be perhaps a simple like not super complicated uh methodology behind getting someone to convert it's just understanding 
what kind of person you have, what groups they fall into, and then handing them the information that they're looking for. Yeah. I mean, I think the the most amount of work that was required for that project was literally categorizing magazines. Crazy. Uh, for, yeah. for the purpose <laughs> of the algorithm. So, you know, we had cat we had a, a single category in place for each magazine for the purpose of the the app itself, uh, using the app. But when it came to the personalization engine, I think we we gave every, every magazine three categories um, to allow us to then link things up a bit better. And that was it. So yeah, the longest piece of work was my colleague had to run through about 1500 magazines, wow. putting a category <laughs> on each of them. And then two or three of us uh, reviewed it and put our, and, and made any suggestions. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, the actual, the, the tech side of it was done very quickly. Okay. Yeah. I would say that's really encouraging. So um, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about if someone is looking to increase their, uh, conversion rate, where, where do they start? You know, you mentioned that you worked mostly with startups and still work with them. So, uh, let's, let's like look at it through that lens of if you have a startup or a scaling, um, brand, where do you, where do you recommend someone would start? Yeah, so I, I suppose I, I work more with scale ups now um, mm -hmm. because, you know, zero does require a bit of traffic. Right. Yeah. To a website generally. Otherwise, you're looking at uh, more of a little project uh, rather than what that ongoing optimization. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, the first place to start is research. So uh, there's two two approaches to it. I'm I don't think it matters too much which which one you take. Um, you can either go down the data route first. So you know, dive into Google Analytics, find out where the blockages are in your website, uh, which pages people are getting stuck on, which areas of the funnel they're getting stuck on. Um, and then use heat maps, click maps, session recordings to to further kind of um, analyze those pages, find out where people are, are not clicking, not seeing. And then the other side is, is that user feedback. And so actually speaking to customers, finding out what's important to them. Um, I think if you... I know some people will probably hate me saying this, but <laughs> I think you can avoid the data side completely. Mm. And if you just did really good customer research and really good interviews, because okay. the the learnings you, that you're going to get for them from them are going to allow you to do testing across your website. Um, so there will be certain things, you know, there, there will be um, there will be things that you can't really get from that customer research you know, because people don't know how to. You know, you're not you're going to struggle to get someone to tell you what the perfect filter uh, mm -hmm. setup should be for your website because then you know they're going to struggle to to explain that properly. Yeah. But you can get some insight from them, which allows you to come up with hypotheses and then just just give it a go. Mm -hmm. um, Would you? Yeah. So it's interesting, like those two different branches of the research that you can have, of like the data and then customer feedback or, um, you know getting in front of customers. So I'm curious to hear what you'd say about this. I feel like data is maybe one of those things like brands already have, so they can like, they don't have to say bother anyone to get it. And so I wonder if you come across this of if you recommend going the like user feedback route, is there any hesitation because a brand would be because the brand doesn't want to like bother their customers or reach out or any of that. So firstly, from what I've, from my experience, customers are happy to chat to a business. Mm -hmm. um, it's mostly if they're happy, but I've, I literally did it. I think an interview, what was it yesterday or Monday? Um, the guy wasn't happy. He wasn't, he wasn't furious. He wasn't like, unhappy with the business, <laughs> right? <laughs> but he said, you know, the product wasn't working for him. It mm. didn't, didn't seem to help wasn't doing it so he, he was but he was going to phone out the business and just ask him some questions you know try and try and identify why it wasn't working um but he still jumped on the call and was happy to chat with with me you know a non not even a, a an employee of the business so generally they're happy to chat um you only need to do five to ten of them mm. if you're asking the right questions and you know i i always find i've, I've kind of missed a question in a couple of interviews but someone has said something in maybe the third one that I'm thinking, okay, now I need to ask a question about this in the following interviews because I actually want to dig into this, but I hadn't really considered it before. Um, but what I would say is 
I don't think you can go down the data route without the research, the customer interview route. Okay. Because they're going to tell you, they're the ones who are going to tell you how to fix the problems. Otherwise, you're just kind of, you are hypothesizing. You are, you're making your best guess at how to fix a solution. Um, and, and you you won't always know why. So, you know, I can look at Google Analytics and I'll see that um, the add to cart rate isn't great. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking, okay, so there must be, there's probably an issue with the product page. Right. So people are getting to the product page and that no one's adding it, adding that product to cart. Why not? Then you look at heat maps and you can see where people are clicking. You know, they might be looking at the images. They might look at a bit of, um, you know, the, the product description, bullet points, um, but they're not scrolling. You know, yeah. something like that. All you can do there is say to yourself, they're looking at the gallery. They're looking at the description. They're not adding to cart. So something must be wrong with those, right? Some, something is stopping them at that stage from, from either adding to cart or scrolling further down the page to seek more information. Um, but that's as far as you get with it. Mm -hmm. you've, got, you've got no other information to tell you what might be wrong with that page. Right. So that's, so that's... where the customer interview comes in. Because mm -hmm. then, then what you're asking people is, you know, why are you interested in these products? What research did you do? Um, What's the, what was the problem you had that made you, made you want to seek out these problems, or what's the job that you need doing? Um, if you've if you've got that product and used it, you know how do you now feel about that product? How do you now feel about your life? Has it, has it has it fixed that pain point? Has it done that job for you? And that's the information that's going to give you that wording, sometimes almost exact wording to use on your website, but otherwise it's just the, the the kind of themes and topics that you need to be approaching. So I'm, I'm doing interviews for a CBD brand at the moment. And, uh, and actually between the interviews and reviews, pain points generally seem to be the same. So people having mm. problems sleeping, um, but taste comes up a lot. Interesting. Right? People, people like the taste of the products, of my clients' products, but also a number of people have specified that other CBD products taste bitter. Mm. Okay. Right. So there's, there has the, you know, people, people try other products and they've had this understanding that generally CBD products don't taste that nice, but these ones do. So that's a massive selling point because there might be thousands of people out there who haven't enjoyed the CBD products that they've tried. And so they're looking at this page thinking, okay, I want to try CBD because I know it helps, but I don't like the taste. Yeah. And so if we're not talking about the taste and promoting the good taste, they're, then you know, then they're thinking, well, I'm going to have to take a, take a chance on this. You know, I, right. you know, I, I can see from the, the CBD information that this is a good product, but I'm still taking a chance on the taste. So now if we really highlight that information, we remove that anxiety from, um, you know, from their mind. And they're thinking, okay, I can, I, I can buy that because people, people like the taste. And that's been the, the key thing for me. Um, mm. Another thing that keeps popping up is the word groggy. Right? When I ask people, you know, what's the, What's the problem that their pain point is causing them? You know, what, you know, when they wake up the next morning, how do they feel? Loads of people have said they feel groggy in the morning, right? You know, mm -hmm. not just one person. It's about three interviews, and it's popped up in reviews. So that's language that we can now use on the website specifically to say, like, you know, uh, don't wake up groggy in the morning, or something like that, because that seems to be a message, uh, you know, wording and a message that that people. Uh, respond to um, and then of course you go and test it mm -hmm. you go test it a b test it to make sure it's actually the right language um, but there's yeah there's there's no way you can really get that feedback unless you you're actually asking customers and if you don't ask that customers you you're never you know i would never have used the word groggy yeah i never thought of using that word on the website i would have you know i would it probably would have been something boring like you know you're no longer going to feel tired in the morning mm -hmm. Yeah. or something like that but that's that's boring right uh -huh. but if, if everyone's thinking i feel groggy or uh you know fuzzy minded or whatever they say you know that's the language they use so why not why not use it on the website yeah and it sticks out right like it, if that's what yeah it's interesting like the understanding the community pain points i've never really like with user feedback i feel like it's like oh the 
you're using one individual to understand like more about their experience. But when you could tie that to a whole community, like you said, like the taste and the grogginess, you can now, of course, like you, you had mentioned, use those pain points, use that customer feedback to then really make sure that your product, your messaging is all matching like the community and then helps your conversion rates. Exactly. And I think it's, what's really important is to, is to see that, that recurring thing mm-hmm. with, with those responses, because it's really easy to, to pick up on something that you think is interesting, but actually uh, only comes up like once. Right. So I, I remember doing, doing a survey um, for a client last year and it was about um, uh, an orthopedic pillow. So we were asking people, you know, um, I can't remember what the exact question was, but it's something like, "What's what was the problem you were facing when you when you wanted to buy a pillow, one of these pillows?" And you know, neck pain came up as the the vast majority, which we kind of expected because that's that's what it's designed for. Yeah. Um, shoulder pain came up a lot, and back pain, which again, those were kind of what we expected. But I, when I was running through the survey results, I noticed stiffness come up a couple mm. of times, and initially that stood out to me. And I thought, okay, stiffness, that's, that's interesting because that's a, you know, everyone says neck pain, but actually when, when they say neck pain, do they mean neck stiffness? Yeah. Um, But when I fully analyzed the results, it was something like two mentions in about a thousand. Mm. So then I'm thinking, well, actually, is there really enough there to be worth doing a test on? And I don't think it ever came. I don't think anyone ever mentioned it in an interview. So um, that's where, yeah, you know, it, it can be, could be really easy for me to have picked up on that and gone, okay, we need to test some stiffness messaging, messaging, but actually it probably wouldn't have been worthwhile. Right. Yeah. So you have to kind of like find that balance of where's something repeatedly occurring and like, where should we yeah. take that and test it? And then where is it just like, like you said, two and, um, however many chances of like, oh, it came up twice, but not enough to test exactly. different messaging is that you know, the, the the reviews that i've looked at for the cbd products uh it's not all their reviews obviously but out of all the ones i've picked out 70 odd reviews uh, about a quarter of them mentioned taste wow mentioned the nice taste so yeah. that tells me this is definitely something to go and, and run some tests on mm-hmm Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely with that, it, you would say it's like a numbers game of seeing how much something is populating in, in the data yeah. set you're looking at. Yeah. I mean, that's super interesting. And I love that you're giving so many examples for all of these, like you said, like the CBD products, the, um, the pillow as well, like having to, for each brand, each, um, client that you're working with, like pivot and see, what for those brands that they need in that moment to really create the best product for their customers yeah yeah i mean uh, another example um that again came from uh i don't think it came from interviews actually i think it just came from a survey was uh, for a retailer and we found that actually you know everyone talks about free shipping right everyone wants to put that free shipping message in front of people but actually hassle-free returns Mm. came up came up as the as one of the key the key messages that people wanted to see not necessarily even and i think I, this is a bit i did check in interviews not necessarily free returns right but the easy free. returns yeah people want to know that if they need to make a return they can you know print off their own their own return slip or you know if it's amazon you can you just take them in fact i've returned a product recently with amazon where I, they said don't put it in a box the instructions yeah. even like specifically said don't box it up just give us the product, um, take it back to like a Hermes drop-off point, hand it in. And they explained it's because they will pack it up so that they can get more packages in their in their van. Wow. Which is okay. great. But yeah, yeah the, the, the point is, um, yeah, people wanted hassle-free returns. You know, free shipping was always a, a nice to have, but if a brand had free returns, then they would be more likely to pay for shipping, mm-hmm. um, knowing that they if, they if the product was bad, like bad, then they could send it back. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's I've that parallel between the two of them is so interesting. Like everything that has to do with the returns and shipment process. Cause I feel like you do like you're expecting kind of like free shipping, but you stand out if you see 
like hassle-free returns, easy returns. Um, yeah, I, I think that's, that's that's right. It's almost like the expectation now is that you've got free shipping. Even, mm-hmm. even if you've got to spend £100 for it or something, the expectation yeah. is if you spend enough money, you're going to get free shipping. Um, return side, I think some brands are setting that expectation about returns. So, you know, obviously Amazon, uh, we've got ASOS here, who uh, I think have been known they're basically known as the the company that you just buy loads of clothing from and then send back whatever you don't like. <laughs> right. Um, uh, so I think that's setting the expectation for free returns, but not everyone does it yet. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Um, would you say too, with all of these different ways that you've been talking about CRO, is there, like, does it, does your, um, I guess where you would start, does it, depend on like the size or the type of industry that a brand is in or is it pretty like across the board of you see like this a couple of main um like pain points or a couple of things that multiple brands across multiple industries aren't doing that you can like then come in and help them with for their CRO I think everything's got to go through the research really mm-hmm. um you know I've done this for, well, I've, I've been doing this as a consultant for about two and a half, three years now. And before that, for about six years in-house. It's difficult to say, like, yes, certain things keep popping up. And I think you do have some no-brainers, such as making sure if you've got free shipping and free returns, stick that on your product page. But outside of that, it gets it gets difficult. Mm-hmm. Right, some some messaging just doesn't work. So um, another example, work, working with a, a footwear retailer, um, we were looking at, uh, you know, Amazon, Amazon, right? They've got uh, the, almost like the countdowns, you know, they'll say order it yeah. either. It's sometimes it's by five o'clock. Sometimes it's in the next uh, this amount of time uh, and we'll to, to receive it tomorrow. And we tested that. We tested two versions. One was, it was so both times with the timer, so it was always a countdown timer. Um, place your order within timer uh, for, I think one was next day delivery, and one was uh, to be shipped today. Okay. Um, obviously not the exact messaging, but message was <laughs> ne- next day delivery or ship today. Yeah. And ship today one. Wow. Would you say like some that's- reason? Yeah, like the urgency, I guess, of like today is like quicker than tomorrow. Um, possibly. Yeah, maybe it was the today, tomorrow message that was actually resonating for people. Um, maybe, you know, maybe it's further down the funnel as well. You know, so people, mm-hmm. um, so next day delivery was was paid. So you'd get free standard delivery, um. but next day delivery was paid. So actually, I need to dig, in, dig into the stats for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, for the add to cart rate. But it's, yeah, possibly more people adding it to cart and fewer people were then converting because they saw the payment, the charge. Whereas on the ship today version, there's uh, there's no expectation. There's kind of no expectation whether it's whether it's paid or not or or what that shipping uh shipping speed is it's just the fact that it's going to be shipped today it'll be out the door today and so you know you're going to get it you'd expect it within two three days at at least here here in the uk i think you'd expect standard delivery to be two maybe three days Mm -hmm. okay yeah that's super interesting um we fact check so maybe i'll have you dig into those stats and i can i can um add them in at the end and so, so you have like the first step, I mean, it's a huge chunk, right? The research, whether it's data or customer feedback. So then once you get that research, where then do you go? Like, can you give us a couple of examples of how then like you're either using the heat maps to improve um, like the customer journey or improve that conversion rate? Yeah, so generally then the the kind of ideation stage happens where we've we've got that feedback, we know uh, where problems are, we've now got ideas of messaging, and you know, what's important to customers. So then we'll start looking at those actual pages, thinking, okay, what, what's this going to look like on this page? 
what is the exact message that's going to work. Um, we'll come up with a bunch of test ideas. So this will, at, at this stage, it's just, um, you know, a CBD example, it'll be, we need to get a taste message on the, on the product page. And that's it. And that goes into the uh, prioritization list. Um, we, we, we score and prioritize all these test ideas. Then we move it to, to a Trello board and uh, like a Kanban board. And that's when we start working on things. But generally the idea is to come up with two or three versions of what this test should look like. Mm. Um, and it doesn't mean we have to test the variants, but it's generally the, the idea is that the second or third idea is going to be better right. those, rather than your first idea. Your first idea is probably going to be a bit boring. <laughs> a bit just you know a statement like you know has it yeah. has a nice refreshing flavor um but then when you think about it or you might even see some examples elsewhere of how people have talked about flavors and, and shown off flavors you might come up with another idea on how to better present that in a more just a more interesting way and that could be you know some sort of graphic instead an image yeah whatever um and then you're kind of deciding on what that best one will be best of what you think the best version will be if you can't decide you test them both as long as you've got the traffic um and then you just keep moving from there so now that i know taste is a big issue for people you know it's it's not just a case of running that one test hopefully getting a winning test winning result implementing it and moving on to something else i should be thinking well now we know people to care about taste and we've proved that because the test has worked what's the next step with taste mm where do we go from here is it further iteration so do we need idea number four number five number six or is it somewhere else on the website you know should we be saying uh you know instead of cbd for your need whether it's sleep or, or calmness or focus should we be saying cbd by taste do you oh. want do you want a minty taste do you want a uh i don't know caramel taste or an orange taste or whatever and, and letting people browse, browse that way instead. Mm -hmm. um, obviously that, that has complications because if you're looking for a sleep product and the sleep product's only in one flavor, yeah, there's <laughs> not a lot you can do with that apart from say, well, product team, you need to start, start producing yeah. multiple flavors. But yeah, I mean, that's an idea off the top of my head, but the point is now you've got something that's working and you, you know people are responding positively to this message, how can you get more out of that message rather than just saying, cool, done, let's start from scratch again with something else and, and work on work on a different test. Yeah, like kind of eliminating that, like pivot to a different project, but like really hone in on this one thing that is proving to work yeah. really well for you. And so it's like, how do you continue to kind of like stand out as a brand because that's the differentiator between other, you know, competitor products is that taste. And so I love that idea of not just like pivoting and trying to change multiple things across the board at once, but you've you're honing in on that differentiator with your with your product. Yeah. And you know, there's nothing wrong with running tests on different areas of the website at the same mm -hmm. time. Um but it's yeah, it you know, don't do one test on flavor on the product page and then that's it and you never touch it again and you start moving on to shipping messages or benefits of the product or whatever you know maybe you do do that next while you, while you analyze and think about but just make sure you come back to those ideas those winning tests yeah um, and and even the losing ones actually you know there's there's a reason you decided to run the test in the first place and that reason should be it was backed by data. It was backed by research. You came up with the hypothesis to solve this solution, solve this problem. Uh, there's a reason it's then lost. So you should be trying to work out why that's happened. Why do yeah. people not respond to this message properly? Mm, okay. Yeah. So like kind of playing both of like winning and losing tests in those, you know, in those terms of things that's going well and things that isn't like it could have been something in the like slight tweak of the messaging in the test that isn't going well that could then turn that into a test that goes really well yeah i mean i've, I've run uh, you know multivariate tests where it's it's been it's essentially the same message but the wording is different and mm -hmm. some are positive some are negative um and 
you know, one that actually, yeah, another example from a client that stands out is is introducing Klarna to our website. So we we he wanted to add it onto the product page. So we were going to stick it just underneath the call to action, the the add to cart. It was just that that standard banner which says Klarna buy now pay later. Mm. That static banner, not the you know pay this amount per month sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so I said, well, I'd actually come across some research recently around kind of call to actions and messages that were brand related, not generic. So I said, well, why don't we try doing um, sleep now pay later? Because it was oh, a, cool. a pillow. Yeah. And you know, the sleep now pay later, I think it improved conversion rate by about 3%. Um, I can't remember AOV, probably, it's probably about the same. Um, but Klarna buy now pay later reduced conversion rate by 5%. Mm. So my test, my variant with sleep now pay later was 8% better off than the Klarna version. But the important factor is that the Klarna, the, the standard version would have lost the client money. Mm -hmm. implementing and originally yeah. that was going to be something that you know that was going to be one of these best practice things that they were just going to put on the website because you know everyone says well it's it's Klarna it's a buy now pay later option that improves conversion rate improves average order value and then this test showed that actually they would have they would have been losing money by just putting the standard message on there yeah that's super interesting that like the because I guess the action item or like the action word is like you're buying something rather like which you know sometimes people are like oh I don't want to buy something even though you're you know you're buying a product but then it's like oh sleep now it's like oh you can just relax and there's like a better connotation yeah. with that wording people want sleep that was why they're buying the products they want to be able to sleep yeah. so that's sleep now pay later um because it also matched in with the the guarantee as well now obviously with, with Klarna they can they can pay in 30 days anyway but also the brand had a 30-day um 30 day no no questions asked returns policy as well ah so it lined up like fairly yeah. well with that oh okay thank you for sharing that's super super interesting of like right. even yeah that that little detail that um could make all the difference of like eight percent to help conversion rates i mean that's huge yeah i mean eight eight percent's fantastic really the, the test had a three percent improvement which is okay it's fine you know there's nothing wrong with that if you get a bunch of three percents every you know every month or whatever that's it's going to start stacking up but yeah the the important thing was the fact that the, the standard one uh, was was a worse performer than the control mm -hmm. so it would have been better off not putting it on there at all yeah wow that's awesome i'm gonna take that with me for sure um one thing i know that we're coming up on time but one thing that i wanted to ask your opinion about being a cro expert is where do you see like conversion rate optimization in the post-purchase area where it like really comes into play, like um, helping out the LTV and uh, you know, that, that like repeat purchase rate coming back to a brand and like reconverting. Yeah. So I think one thing that I want to, I want to mention straight away is the, the big misconception around CRO is that it's only about conversion rates and it's only about AB testing. Mm -hmm. um, Obviously, it doesn't help that CRO stands for conversion rate optimization. <laughs> right. Um, but really, CRO is about growth, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's, a, it's building a strategy and a process for business growth, whether that's uh, conversion rates, AOV, lifetime value, you know, re retention rates. You know, if you're converting someone for the right reason, you know, really convincing them that this genuinely is the right product for them, and then they do see that benefit because obviously you've got a good product, they'll come back. If you mm -hmm. convert someone for the wrong reason, because you've given them a 50% discount and free shipping, then it's likely it's it's entirely possible that they've bought because the incentive is so good. They've gone, well, yeah, I might as well just give it a go. Right. Um, and then obviously if there's a free returns policy, then they are 100% incentivized just to give it a go. Mm -hmm. you know, if, it, if it costs them 30, 40, maybe $50 to buy this product at that discount, and if they don't like it, they just send it back then it, it just costs you money. You know, not only do you have, you know, you've got the return, you've spent money acquiring that customer, you've spent money on the return. Um, potentially, depending on the product, you can't resell it. Mm -hmm. um, or you might have re restocking fees, you know, it, it costs you money. So you've got to convert people for, for the right reason to get them to come back. Um, and then there's the, the part about the research. That's That, that feeds into to it all a lot. And, you know, I don't really know why, but 
for some reason, the only teams that I really see doing customer research are CRO teams. Mm. You know, I never really see email marketing teams do it, PPC teams. Um, you might get some bigger like big agencies who will do it just as part of an overall market research package, but I don't get me started on those. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so CRA t- CRO teams are the ones speaking to customers, uh, speaking to customer service as well to find out information from them. So then they start feeding that information into the other areas of the business. And that could be, you know, email marketers, we think you should be using this information. People really resonate with this uh, um, uh, these these words, these, these phrases. Um, this is the educational content that they're asking for. Um, or it could be, you know, like the actual product team, you know, everyone is, we're getting loads of feedback saying that the packaging isn't sustainable um, mm. and people don't like it. And they, they say they're getting too much packaging and that's putting off people. So can you look into either reducing packaging or, or making sure it's uh, eco-friendly and stuff like that? And, you know, I know that's not an easy thing for them to do, but it's important that the information at least gets there. Mm-hmm. And then they can at least start thinking about it. And then it's, you know, it's kind of their decision and a business decision whether to actually go forward with it. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, like I said, it's, it's converting people for the right reason. Uh, and then you're just relying on the, the actual product experience to, to be good. And then if it's good, they should come back and buy again. And then, yeah, it's that, it's that feeding into to the other areas of the business, making sure that that, that messaging gets into advertising, gets into email, um, so that, and then when they're clicking through from all that, they're coming to a page which then reinforces all that information as well. Yeah, like on that, even as you're talking, it's like, oh, on that page that you're sent, like the tracking page that you're sending someone to, all that like educational content or like the messaging that the CRO team is gathering of like what's really resonating, then you can, in the post-purchase area, you can say like, oh, if like our sustainability or if our packaging, if that was really bothering people, you can now put like a message front and center and be like, we've moved as a company to reduce our shipment. Like we listen to our customers, um, kind of like telling them like, you know, it's another point that you're reinforcing, um, right then and there for your, for your customers. And, and some of the stuff, you know, you can't, you can't track, you can't really put an ROA against, but one example is it's kind of related to that. Uh, with a, a custom PC business that I used to work with, we found out that people people generally didn't know what they were doing, right? So the assumption was that if someone is building themselves a custom PC on a website, so picking all those components and spending maybe a couple of thousand pounds on it, they probably know what they're talking about. But it yeah. wasn't true. You're getting so many people who just, they knew that a custom PC would get them a better PC for their money. Mm. And that's why they went down that route. So we started to introduce a QR code on a, on a postcard into the box, people would scan that QR code and it would be kind of like a post-purchase page in that it would say, here's the next steps, right? Here's how mm. to maintain your PC. Here's, here's how to, uh, to set it up in the first place. And at one point, uh, you know, a month or two after we introduced that, a five-star review came through on Trustpilot and the vast majority of the, the review was about this QR code that helped this guy set up his PC. So that kind of validated for me that it was working. Difficult to put an ROI on it Mm -hmm. and and stuff, but I now know that people found that helpful. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a really good use case of that, um, of like having the postcard and having that stick out. Um, Yeah, that's great. One last thing I wanted to ask is what like resources would you recommend? Um, It can be like anything from written or um, you know, just like advice you would like to impart about CRO and um, your expertise. Uh, so advice-wise, ignore best practice. Mm. Um, ignore case studies which claim huge conversion rate increases because it's generally uh, it's generally rubbish. Uh, <laughs> if they include all the data, then fine. Um, and you can make your own decisions from it. But a lot of the time, it's small sample sizes or something something was just so terrible in the first place that obviously it's going to increase conversion rate um yeah do all your research and keep just keep asking questions keep speaking to customers um couple of asset um resources that i like uh, baymard institute so they do have pre- a lot of premium research which you have to pay for which is fine but also there's loads of free stuff um on there they just they spend time analyzing websites 
mm. um, which is really cool, and goodui.org, which, um, again, it's, it's another uh, CRO expert. He puts loads of case studies on there. Um, he's probably probably one of the reasons I got into this space, actually. I've, I've known about his website for, for years, um, and there's, there's so much useful content on there. Yeah. Okay. Well, those are awesome. Thank you so much, Will, for coming on the podcast and taking the time to share all of your wonderful advice. I know our listeners are going to take a lot away from this. No problem. All right. Thanks for having me. Yep. Thank you. All right. Cheers. That was a phenomenal episode with Will. I know it's been one of my favorites. Now it is time for the fact check. I just wanted to clarify all the tests that Will talks about and speaks to during that episode of recording were tests that he's done with various clients of his. Um, so that's what he's pulling that data from. And I'm so, so happy that he was so willing to share with us about all those incredible tests because even just hearing from like free trials and the CTA copy, how little details they really do have an influence. Um, I think it's fascinating, but it's also, it just echoes the importance of making sure that you have touch points with your customers and that you're really looking at the data to reflect and to inform your strategy moving forward. I also wanted to say that I did really dive into what standard shipping would look like. I know I said I would dive into that in the episode, so I wanted to give some of my provide some of my findings here. So I found that shipping, standard shipping in the US generally takes anywhere from three to five business days. I don't think that's much of a surprise to many of us. Of course, caveat saying that delays and delivery and um, world events, of course, many things can delay shipments. And then Different carriers also could work better or worse for you depending on many different things. International shipments do also differ um, just based off of warehouses and everything. And I actually think we have a very exciting episode for you all coming soon. But I do feel obligated to share that if you're looking to understand more information about your shipment performance, Malomo does have a shipment report that includes such information of how long it usually takes broken down by carrier. I also want to emphasize the resources that Will shares. So the Baymart Institute, you can find that at baymart.com. They, this is their tagline, but the Baymart Institute uncovers what designs cause usability issues, how to create state-of-the-art user experiences, and measure how your UX performance is doing. And then the other resource that Will recommends is goodui.org. And goodui.org is a project started by Jacob Linowski, and he's from Toronto, Canada. Fun fact. And he has started that company to make it possible for amazing contributors to share their precious designs. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to tune into our next one that we'll be launching and be sure to keep a close eye on Malomo because we have very exciting uh, news coming up in the next two weeks and I will definitely be sharing on the podcast when it is live. Mm -hmm.